This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks, the number one daily fantasy sports app. Oh my goodness. Good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 609. Welcome in. Um, not going to lie to you, I'm a little bit behind this week. I've still got three more games I want to watch to kind of finish up last week. This is Tuesday's episode, recording on a Wednesday morning. I'm a bit behind. I'm doing my best. Uh, I still want to watch the... I really want to watch that Steelers-Rams game. I want to watch Kenny Pickett. I heard he was fantastic in the second half. I want to watch Tyson Bajant, the quarterback in Chicago, break down that film. Uh, I really want to watch the Packers game, see what the heck happened against Denver. Those games we'll talk about on the next episode. I guess really it'll be today's episode, then the fantasy football episode, and then we'll talk about those three games. And then we also got to move on, talk about what's happening next week and kind of do predictions. And by then Thursday night football will be happening. We got a lot of stuff ahead this week. I'm really excited. Um, I'm a bit behind. I had a a personal thing I've had to deal with this week, and so that's been that's been fun. Also, that episode on Sunday night nearly killed me. I was up till 4 a.m. editing that. I had a problem with editing, which put me back another hour. I don't know. It was what it was. Um, the only, you know, actually, I, I looking back on that episode, there's a thing in there. There's a, a Tyson Bajant graphic that was wrong that I, I hate, and no one will notice. Probably watching, you didn't even notice, but it killed me. I was like, ah, I missed it, and uh, it is what it is. I want to jump in. I want to tell you about today's sponsor. Prize Picks is the number one daily fantasy sports app. Prize Picks allows you to make an entry based on player projections, and in 60 seconds, you can enter something like Travis Kelsey more than five catches, Tyreek Hill more than 100 yards receiving, and Justin Fields less than 200 yards passing. And if your picks are right, you can win money. Making picks makes games more engaging, and you could turn something like $5 into $50. Prize Picks offers quick and easy deposits. You can even use Apple Pay. And they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts. For example, there's a weekly event called Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, Prize Picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. So put your skills to the test in daily fantasy. Go to prizepicks.com slash CLNS and use code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash CLNS, code CLNS for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy made easy. Let's talk about Monday Night Football. I got to drink water before we do that, though. Um... On Monday Night Football, the Minnesota Vikings beat the 49ers 22-17. to And the most important thing about this game is that 49ers quarterback Brock Purdy had his second game in a row that was kind of, I guess, one you could call disappointing or underwhelming. I actually thought Brock Purdy played pretty well for most of the game. Brock Purdy was 21 for 30 passing at 272 yards and a touchdown. But the problem was his two interceptions. And the 49ers found themselves in a situation down 22-17 to in the fourth quarter. And Brock Purdy got the ball two times, down five points with a chance to take the lead. And at the end of the game, instead of taking the lead, both times he threw an interception. And uh, that just can't happen. The team needed points at the end of the game. And because Brock Purdy isn't big or fast or doesn't have a huge arm, 
I think a casual football fan has a hard time pinpointing what he does well, which is beating coverages, having great timing. He's really accurate. Does a lot of little stuff really well, but stuff that isn't immediately obvious on like a highlight reel. And the thing that Brock Purdy is known for, the thing he hangs his hat on, is winning football games. He's a winner. That's his calling card. And if you're known for that, you got to win. And he's gotten criticism, which I understand, uh, especially after this game on Monday night. I still think Brock Purdy's pretty dang good, and I'm not very concerned. But this is the second 49ers loss in a row. And it's the second game in a row where Brock Purdy has been a bit underwhelming. Now, next week, the 49ers play Cincinnati, and I'm just really curious to see how he plays. You know, two interceptions at the end with a chance to take the lead is something that I think people are going to remember and remind him of, like, oh, remember how clutch Brock Purdy is? He's so great. But to me, I think it's it's too early to freak out and talk about how bad he is and how much he sucks. It's just like, ah, you know, I've watched Brock Purdy play so much good football during his career, his very short career, but admittedly good career so far. And so I'm just kind of in this position where, We'll see how he does next week. I'm, I, you know, again, two bad games in a row. Arguably, was was Monday night a bad game? No. Was he bad at the end of the game? Yes. Um, did he make the play to win? No. Like, I mean, there there are things you can criticize for sure, but I'm still not ready to come down hard on Brock Purdy. If it if it's required, you know, I will. But also, I'm a guy who, what do I say? I move like a turtle, right? I just take my time and. I don't want to be the first person to rush to judgment on Brock Purdy, right? He's had a bad two games in a row. He's lost two games in a row. The 49ers are 5-2, and two, but I I just think it's ridiculous to hit the panic button so far. It's very early still for Brock Purdy and the 49ers, and uh, I am not deeply concerned at all. All right, uh, it's Zach. I was editing the show, and it just came out. There is news that Brock Purdy is actually in concussion protocol. So Brock Purdy... Will not play this upcoming week for the 49ers. Their starting quarterback will actually be Sam Darnold. So uh, the plot thickens here as Brock Purdy has two kind of bad games in a row. Now he's on the bench. Sam Darnold's going to be the quarterback in San Francisco. I don't know, man. Really interesting. Uh, it felt weird to like put this out without acknowledging that. So I'm literally sitting here editing. I'm like, huh, I should re, I should you know re-record something and let people know. So uh, Brock Purdy. Not the starting quarterback this upcoming weekend for the 49ers. They're playing Cincinnati. And uh, I think Sam Darnold could be really good, which is going to be what's going to happen if Sam Darnold plays really well. And then uh, do you do you have a quarterback controversy? If Sam Darnold is really good on Sunday, do you go back to Brock Purdy? I have no idea. Uh, it's going to be very, very interesting in San Francisco. So, again, Brock Purdy. Not going to be playing this Sunday for the 49ers. Now, the Vikings played great on Monday Night Football. The Vikings are now 3-4 and four after winning. And I really believe Minnesota is better than the record would suggest. All four of their losses are by one score. And I think the Vikings are really just a couple plays away from very easily being 5-2 and two instead of 3-4. and four, Or even 6-1. and one. You know, they lost to Tampa by three, where it was a tie game in the fourth quarter. They lost to Philly by six. Minnesota scored late to make it look closer at the end, but really they were down by two touchdowns, and they, they just kind of made the game look closer than it was in the fourth quarter. But the Chargers is a game they lost by four, where they had a lead in the fourth quarter. So, I, And then the other loss, I guess, was against Kansas City, where the Vikings drove into the red zone in the fourth quarter and couldn't score to tie the game. So I look at the Vikings' losses so far, the three and four, but... All four losses have been close, and three of the four losses were games where they had a shot to win at the end in the fourth quarter and didn't. So 
I really believe Minnesota's better than their three and four record. I go back to that a couple plays here and there. The Vikings are five and two or six and one rather than three and four. And I really don't think that losing to the Vikings is a terrible loss for the 49ers. Again, I think the Vikings are much better than people realize. Kirk Cousins was absolutely fantastic in this football game on Monday night. He was 35 for 45 passing, had 378 yards, two touchdown passes, had an interception. And what's funny about that is the interception was not his fault, but also he had a touchdown later that should have been an interception. It was a very weird game for Kirk Cousins. Uh, It all kind of evens out in the end. You know, Vikings rookie receiver Jordan Addison was fantastic in this football game, had seven catches for 123 yards and two touchdowns. And on the first drive of the game, second and 10, Kirk Cousins throws the ball to Jordan Addison, where he just allowed 49ers corner Chavarius Ward to literally steal the ball from away from him for an interception. You're like, oh, that can't happen. That's not great. But later, though, before halftime, Jordan Addison made up for it. There was a throw where I thought it should have been an interception. It was kind of a, a, a ball a bit underthrown or maybe a bit uh, he didn't lead Jordan Addison enough downfield. And instead of allowing Javarius Ward to have an interception, Jordan Addison kind of pulled the move out of Javarius Ward's ba- you know, basket and stole the ball away from him and ran for a touchdown. So it was kind of interesting how like one that was an interception shouldn't have been and one that was a touchdown probably also shouldn't have been. But it, again, it all evens out in the end. This game was massive for Jordan Addison. I thought we literally saw the guy grow up in front of us on Monday Night Football, especially early on. Like your young receivers have to learn to go fight for the ball and use their bodies and kind of... I don't know if box people has the right word, but not allow other defenders to beat them to the football. Early on, he did. He allowed Javarius Ward to beat him to the football, steal it, grab an interception. Later, he did not allow that to happen, kind of made up for it. I thought we saw the maturation or the, the growth of Jordan Addison literally live during Monday Night Football. And the dude was a first-round pick, so him playing well is really good for the Vikings. They drafted him. They're heavily invested in him. And uh, it looks like very early on in his career, it's already paying off. And it was also really important that Jordan Addison was good because the Vikings did not have their top receiver, Justin Jefferson, playing in this game on Monday night, who's now injured. So I don't know, man. I look at Minnesota, who is three and four, and I think they've got a really good shot to turn their season around. Uh, The next two games for Minnesota, they play at Green Bay and then at Atlanta. Both teams have kind of a quarterback problem. I think for sure the Vikings have a better quarterback against Green Bay and against Atlanta. And both are very winnable. That would put the Vikings at 5-4. And, and then you look at the rest of the Vikings' schedule. They haven't played Detroit yet. They played Detroit in the, you know, twice in the final three games of the year. But the rest of the schedule for the Minnesota Vikings has a lot of very winnable games. They played New Orleans, Chicago, Denver, the Raiders. Like, there is still a really good shot that the Vikings make a playoff run. Straight up. Like, they're 3-4, and four, but they are not out of the mix at all. And it all started because they beat the 49ers on Monday Night Football. Three and four is really different from two and five. That's a crazy change in what can happen for their year. And I really think the direction the Vikings are headed in is one that I think they're a playoff team. I don't know what happens after that, but they could get hot at the end. And given the start they had, the horrible start the Vikings had to the year, it's really impressive. The Vikings are really bouncing back. They're getting better as the year goes on. Their defense looks awesome. And um, yeah, I just, again, preliminary thoughts are that I see the Vikings as a playoff team. Actually, I think, let me look it up. I think if the playoffs started today, they would be the number seven seed in the NFC. So the Vikings are very much in the mix in the NFC. They're totally fine. Let's look at it. The standings in the NFC, the Vikings today, if the playoffs started today, the Vikings would be the number eight seed in the playoffs right behind Tampa. So 
for sure the Vikings are in the mix and definitely a potential playoff team. Uh, by the way, the atmosphere of this game on Monday night, like the fans, the crowd, game was in Minneapolis, Monday night football, they're doing skull chants, they got that little horn thing that they, did, they blow before the game, it's so cool, and uh, I think that was actually kind of, that's kind of a decent, no, that, the second time was not a good impression, but I feel like the first time I kind of almost nailed that impression. Either way, the game looked fun. Maybe want to be a Minnesotan. I was like, oh, like you know what? How fun would that be to be in that building and be part of that crowd? And I don't know. I want to give a shout out to Vikings fans because they seem like a really fun group of people. Now let's talk about the next game uh, on my list of games to talk about today. I was absolutely shocked when I saw the final score of the game between Baltimore and Detroit. The Baltimore Ravens beat the Detroit Lions 38 to 6. Like, what? What? 38 to 6? What happened? Because I was really expecting a great, fun game. The Ravens are 4 and 2. Detroit was 5 and 1 going into the game. I thought for sure it was going to be close and fun and entertaining. And uh, no. Uh, when I saw the final score on Sunday, I was like, I don't have time to watch that right now, but I got to go back and watch that. And what I saw was a totally one sided game that was. Really, really impressive by the Baltimore Ravens. Like, oh my goodness, the Ravens were fantastic on Sunday. Uh, their offense was dominant. And frankly, the Ravens' offense looked the way that I've been expecting them to look all year long. Like, going into the year in August, doing preseason predictions, I had really high expectations for the Ravens' offense. He had a new offensive coordinator, Todd Munkin. They invested all these draft picks and uh, moves and getting really good receivers for Lamar Jackson. And the first... Six games of the year, six weeks of the year was like, I'm waiting, I'm waiting and waiting, and it's not working out. And finally, week seven, the Ravens' offense was impressive and looked really, really good. Lamar Jackson, their quarterback, had four touchdowns. He was 21 for 27, passing for 357 yards. He had three touchdown passes. He also ran for a touchdown. And the Ravens opened this game with not one, not two, not even three, but four straight touchdown drives to open the game. Meanwhile, Detroit on offense opened the game with three straight three and outs. And so, man, it was literally all Ravens the entire game. Uh, they had receivers wide open. I feel like every little thing that could have gone their way did go their way. It also helped them that Detroit was really awful to start the game on offense. Like there were little mistakes here and there where Jared Goff got sacked, right? Guard got badly beat. There was a second and seven where Jared Goff got sacked to set up third and 16. Like the Lions are not going to overcome a third and 16 uh, that was a three and out. There was a throw on third down where Sam Laporte, the Raven, the sorry, the the Lions tight end, kind of stumbled out of his break. That throw was incomplete. Like a lot of little things hurt the Lions. I thought in this football game that went the way of the Ravens. I don't know that if the Ravens play the Lions ten times, they do this every single time. I think a lot of things had to kind of go their way. This could have very easily been a close game, um, but I really wouldn't panic about Detroit losing this football game. Like they were down immediately, twenty-eight to nothing. I think sometimes it's just not your day, and the Lions certainly did not have a good day on Sunday. But the one thing we did learn about the Baltimore Ravens is that this is what they're capable of. Like, this is what the Ravens' offense can do on their very best day, and that's got to be encouraging and exciting. Um, look, maybe it just took until Week 7 for the Ravens' offense to start going and, and clicking. You know, they added a new offensive coordinator. I was so excited going into the year, and really the question now is— can the Ravens perform this way every single week? Like, 
Can they or will they do this week in and week out? Because if the Ravens offense can look the way they did on Sunday, week seven against the Detroit Lions, then certainly the Ravens have to be considered a Super Bowl contender. So, um, and, and like, honestly, if the Ravens offense does what they did on Sunday every week, they should probably be the Super Bowl favorite. I would put them in the same category as Philly, Kansas City, Miami, and the 49ers. So um, I thought this was a really impressive win for the Baltimore Ravens, kind of a statement showing here's what we can do. And I've got an open mind. I don't know if they can do this every single game, but I've got an open mind. I can't wait to see what happens the rest of the year in Baltimore. But I want to suggest it is certainly possible that what we saw in Baltimore on Sunday is the beginning of the Ravens' offense coming alive. And really, I'm telling you, man, what we saw on Sunday from them was like eye-opening and and me going, whoa, they are really capable. And I thought that, like the Steelers game, for example, there were three drop touchdowns, Lamar had a couple late turnovers. There were things that have gone wrong this year for the Ravens, but when they're clicking, they're clicking. And when they're clicking, they're winning and are definitely a Super Bowl contender. So shout-out to the Ravens' offense for finally finally looking really good for the first time all year. There was another shocking game during NFL Week 7. The New England Patriots beat the Buffalo Bills 29-25. to And I was really, really surprised by the outcome of this football game because the Patriots were 1-5 going into this game. And up until Week 7 this week, the Patriots' offense had looked really, really horrible all year long. But finally, finally... Finally, the Patriots offense kind of came all together and looked competent and capable for the first time. And the key is their quarterback, Mac Jones, who in this football game was 25 for 30 passing, had 272 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions on the day. It was awesome. And it was by far the best Mac Jones has played all year long for the Patriots. And I thought actually Mac Jones looked a bit like Vikings quarterback Kirk Cousins in that I think they've got a very similar skill set. And the way that Mac Jones hung the pocket, took a couple big hits in this football game, still delivered the ball on time and accurately, it was actually, I would say, Kirk Cousins-esque, where I know that maybe Kirk Cousins gets memed on a lot and made fun of, but to me, he's a really talented, really capable quarterback and a high-level veteran quarterback in the NFL. That's a compliment. For me to compare you to Kirk Cousins, I think that's a a high-level compliment, high-level praise. And... um, like, I just look at Mac Jones. If Mac Jones can be what Kirk Cousins is in Minnesota, it would be a huge success story. He would be a franchise quarterback and would probably play in the NFL for a long, long time. So I thought that, you know, this game was a huge benchmark for Mac Jones, like kind of arriving and looking really good finally in this new Bill O'Brien offense in New England. And by far, the very best thing about this football game was Mac Jones, the Patriots quarterback, leading a game-winning touchdown drive. In the fourth quarter, in a two-minute drill, the Patriots got the ball down three points with a minute 58 left to go. And Mac Jones led an eight-play, 75-yard game-winning touchdown drive through the game-winning touchdown with 12 seconds left on the clock. It was awesome. It was really like, okay, finally. So Mac Jones can play. The offense looks all right. If they can play that way the rest of the year, I look, the Patriots are two and five. Things are not going well. I'm not, they're not a playoff team, I don't think. I don't know that like the best year or like the best outcome for the Patriots is maybe even a playoff run. Um, but what I do feel after this game against Buffalo, beating them, the quarterback finally looks good. I finally have hope that things can work out 
in New England. I think people have been on the fence like, hey, we got to fire Bill Belichick. I've been suggesting, hey, maybe we put Malik Cunningham at quarterback. Like, it's been really, really bad in New England. By the way, Malik Cunningham just got cut by the Patriots. So he's not even on the team anymore. Um, and I was really patient with Bill, Bel- with Bill Belichick, the red coach, saying, like, we don't need to fire him. Let's just wait and see what he can do. Finally, I think it looks all right. Like, it's really kind of crazy how different things are when your quarterback is playing well. And if Mac Jones can play that way the rest of the year, the offense can look competent and not horrible. I think you keep Bill Belichick. I mean, it really is that simple. If the quarterback can play and the offense doesn't look atrocious, then I think things are going to be okay in New England. But for sure, this is the first time all year I felt any sense of hope about the New England Patriots and their offense, which was beating the Bills 29-25 to Week 7. Now, losing drops the Buffalo Bills down to 4-3, and three, so four wins, three losses. I do believe that Buffalo is a bit overrated, and I felt that way for a while. Um, I keep seeing the Buffalo Bills ranked as, like, the number one team in the NFL, and I'm like, I don't understand what they did to justify that or to deserve that ranking. Um, I, I really don't think the Bills have done anything to be viewed as the number one team in the NFL this year. You know, they lost to the Jets week one. Josh Allen had four interceptions. They lost to the Jaguars, now the Patriots. I don't know, man. I think Buffalo, to me, is a bit suspect. Their quarterback is a bit mistake-prone. Uh, their pass rush at times doesn't get pressure. Like, Max Jones was sacked one time on Sunday. Not great. There was pressure in his face for sure, but it only got home one time against the Patriots. And are the Buffalo Bills a good team? Yes. Absolutely. They're a really good football team. They're going to be a playoff team, in my opinion. Are they a Super Bowl favorite? No. Nor should they be. Not yet, at least. They haven't done anything to deserve that. I will say their quarterback, Josh Allen, is fantastic. Um, You know, Josh Allen does stuff that simply other quarterbacks cannot do. There was a couple plays on the goal line that should have been a sack. They weren't a touchdown, but they're they're almost highlights. I'm going to put them on screen where Josh Allen escaped a sack, made a play, nearly threw a touchdown pass, and they were plays that for the majority of quarterbacks in the NFL, if you're not named... Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, or I don't know who else gets out of that sack. Maybe like a Jalen Hurts. I don't know. There's like three or four quarterbacks in the NFL other than Josh Allen who can make that play and get out of that sack. So I'm not a Josh Allen hater. Again, I think he does special stuff similar to Patrick Mahomes or Lamar Jackson. There are things he can do that other quarterbacks simply cannot and do not do in the NFL. But I do believe that Josh Allen and the Bills have a lot to prove. And I'm kind of skeptical. I'm like, eh, okay, you've had some really ugly moments this year. And what I just don't understand for me, making them the number one ranked team in the NFL in like power rankings is absurd. I don't know what the Buffalo Bills have done this year to deserve that kind of respect. And I also want to point out, I'm worried about the Bills. I think that many of their key players, especially on defense, are aging or have expiring contracts. And this might be the last shot at a Super Bowl for the current core group of guys they have in Buffalo. And, I mean, it's it's worth noting, if the playoffs started today in the NFL, the Bills would be the number seven seed in the AFC. They would barely make it in to the playoffs. They would never have a home field advantage game. They would be on their heels all through the playoffs. And that's not shocking to me. That's about exactly where I view the Bills to be. The number seven seed in the AFC, not winning their division, um, behind Miami, behind Cleveland, behind... Uh, Kansas City, there's a long season ahead for the Bills to kind of prove me wrong and gain my respect. But right now, I look at Buffalo and go, again, skeptical. I've got a bit of a side eye. I'm not that impressed so far this year. And uh, we'll see how the rest of the year goes for the Buffalo 
Bills. So to recap, there were two offenses this week during NFL Week 7 that for the first time all year played the way I expected they would in like August when I was making preseason predictions where, man, like the Ravens offense finally, finally looked dominant and imposing and like really hard to stop. And I expected this year that the Patriots offense would be productive and competent. And for the first time all year, we saw Mac Jones do what I thought he would when they brought in Bill O'Brien as a new offensive coordinator in New England, where he looked really good. He was accurate. He got the ball out on time. He looked like he knew what he was doing on third down, wasn't second-guessing anything. Maybe it just took time. Again, Bill Belichick uh, brought in a new offensive coordinator, Bill O'Brien. They've been learning a new system in New England, the, a new one for Mac Jones. It, maybe you can explain it away saying, like, hey, maybe it took seven weeks for it to finally click and, and work out. That isn't that far-fetched for me. That kind of makes sense. And the same can be said for the Ravens, where I've been waiting all year for the Ravens' offense to be outstanding and impressive. And it maybe just took seven weeks for them to really settle in and become the offense that I think they're capable of being. But what we learned from both New England and Baltimore is that they're capable week seven. That what they did week seven is what they're capable of at the, on their best day. And when they have games worse than what we saw week seven from them, we can point back to, well, we know what they're capable of on their best day. They should be playing better. And so I just want to really kind of leave this as kind of what, what I would call like a benchmark or an expectation the rest of the year for Baltimore and New England. And any game that's worse than what we saw on Sunday from New England or Baltimore is a game where we go, huh, we know they're capable of better. And so that's the, the baseline expectation now for New England and Baltimore is what they did on Sunday. Playing really well, scoring points, your quarterback is efficient and accurate. And uh, now we know what they can do. Let's see how the rest of the year goes for New England and Baltimore on offense. Now, one big piece of feedback from Monday's episode was that I didn't talk about the way penalties played a part in Cleveland beating Indy on Sunday. So let's rectify that. Remember, the Cleveland Browns beat the Indianapolis Colts 39-38 on Sunday. And I just want to be clear, I don't like talking about refs. I don't. I try not to talk about them. I try to always be the kind of person that when things go wrong for me in life, I try to take the blame. I try to look at what I could have done differently. Um, I'm not a finger pointer. I'm not an excuse maker. I hate, again, I, when things happen to me in life, I try to go, huh, what could I have done differently here? Why did this happen? What did I do that caused this? Rather than focus on shifting the blame to other people, I try to take extreme ownership of what goes on for me. Now, I hate being the stereotypical guy complaining about refs, but you made it clear you want me to talk about it. Let's do it. There were two plays that are in question from this football game. Uh, play number one was a third and four on the 13-yard line where Browns quarterback P.J. Walker got sacked and fumbled. That gave the Colts the ball with a 38-33 to lead in the fourth quarter. However, that play got called back because of illegal contact on Indy. And to me, that felt really tacky and had a massive impact on the game. But then on the very next play, first and goal on the eight-yard line, P.J. Walker throws a ball way, way out of bounds. Like, to me, it's an uncatchable ball. However, Indy's defense got called for defensive pass interference, which to me was wild and a bad call and unfair. Like, when the ball lands out of bounds to a degree that even, like, I'm trying to think of who's a great jump ball receiver— Mike Evans wouldn't have caught that. Um, th that's a ball that even prime, like, Calvin Johnson would not have caught. It just it was so far out of bounds, it's uncatchable to me. 
You can't call pass interference on a throw that's out of bounds and uncatchable, but they did, which is unfair, and that sucks. So I, I hate, hate, hate complaining about referees. But it did feel like, to me, the refs were giving Cleveland as many chances as they could to make a play at the end and win that football game. And, you know, I understand the frustration for Colts fans. It felt like they got screwed over. However, it's not a new thing. Refs kind of interjecting themselves and what I would call ruining the end of a football game. Um, And I feel like, honestly, I'm getting really used to refs becoming part of the end of football games. It just is what it is. Now, it is really bad because there's a rise of sports gambling happening right now. And so I think these bad calls are legitimately hurting the integrity of the NFL where people are going, hmm, why are you calling pass interference on a ball that lands out of bounds? Like literally so far out of bounds, it's uncatchable. That seems like BS to me. And and me, Zach Schaumler, I believe that's nonsense. That's unfair. That sucks. And I, I think it's something the NFL needs to maybe look into. Like, why is this happening? And if players are gambling on games, how are we sure, like, are we really sure that refs aren't gambling on games or maybe someone in their family's gambling on a game. Like we should look into everything. There should be lots of investigations going on. But the thing I want to be very clear about is that games have always been decided by refs during the gambling days, after the gambling days. I remember the fail Mary where, um, look up fail Mary between green Bay and Seattle, right? There have always been plays BS calls to ruin football games. There was the, the catch by Calvin Johnson jr. He caught it. And used the ball to land, and that was ruled an incomplete pass. There was a Des Bryant touchdown that got called off the board. There have been so many calls during my lifetime that were controversial and felt like nonsense to me. And when I was a player, my mentality always was, if I just do the best I can and focus on me, then the game should never be in a position where the refs can decide it. I lost a game, my very first ever varsity start in high school, my junior year, Look up River Skyview blocked kick. I had the game-winning touchdown with a minute left. I was on top of the world. First ever varsity start, I had a fourth-quarter comeback. It was incredible. However, we blocked their field goal attempt with no time left. They picked it up and ran for a touchdown. It was a rule in the rule book we didn't know, and we lost because of a technicality. It felt like un- it felt unfair. It felt like nonsense, but we lost. I learned from that play. My coach told me after that game, hey, guys, you know what? We can blame the refs all we want, but... If we'd done this and this and executed that better, we would have won by 40 points and the refs wouldn't have even been in a position to ruin the game for us. On Sunday, the Ravens won 38-6. to And a bad call in the fourth quarter would not have lost the game for Baltimore because the game was out of reach. I can't change referees. It's one of those things in life that we have no control over. As a player, as a, when a ref makes a bad call, you got no control over that. The only thing you can do is focus on you and what you can do better and ignore the refs. And so as a broadcaster, I try to focus on players and look at things players can do differently because that's something that is in control of a player. And the Colts lost the game by one point, 39 to 38 to Cleveland, where they had four turnovers. Their quarterback, Gardner Minshew, had four turnovers in this football game. It's very clear. It's plain and simple. If the Colts didn't have four turnovers on Sunday— they would have beat the Cleveland Browns. It's it's literally that simple. So I think before you point a finger at the refs and you attack referees for making bad calls, which those calls were bad, let's acknowledge that. But the guy who's getting off the hook here, a player I love is Gardner Minshew. I love, love, love Gardner Minshew. He's one of my favorite quarterbacks in the NFL. I went to Washington State. He was there. He's amazing. 
but you can't, you cannot, you cannot, you cannot attack a ref for ruining a game when your own team had four turnovers. To me, that's just ridiculous. Like, uh, before you attack a ref, let's look at the things your team could have done better. I know that's going to be unpopular. I know that's controversial. I know it's going to make people angry. But I just, I'm not a finger pointer, man. When I lose a game or when I lose in life or when I lose or whatever, I'm always trying to analyze what could have I have done differently or better to help the outcome work in my favor. Rather than pointing the finger at things that are out of my control and, and unfair, like, were the refs unfair? Yes. Was that nonsense? Yes. But the Colts still had four turnovers in a game where they lost by one point. No turnovers. You would have won. I, I just, that's, that to me, that's the story. I'm always going to focus on what players do and what players could have done better rather than be that guy in his basement complaining about referees. That's just not a good look for me. I don't care about that. I'm not a finger pointer. I'm not a blame chaser. I hate all that stuff. And if you're going to find someone to blame, blame the players who could have done better rather than the, re- than the refs who, we know the refs are terrible. They've been terrible for years. It's not a new thing. And if you leave a game in a position where a ref can make a call that decides your fate, that's on you, the team, and the player, not on the ref. Take ownership of what you could have done better and what the team could have done better rather than pointing blame at someone else. I'm, I'm always going to have that stance. And so are Colts fans frustrated? Yes. Is it unfair? Yes. But the four turnovers are the glaring thing to me. That's the story, not the refs making a bad call, which they've been doing my entire lifetime. I've been a football fan. All right, we've got one more thing we have to talk about. Uh, it's a big piece of news. Philly traded for Tennessee safety Kevin Byard. So the Philadelphia Eagles got safety Kevin Byard in the trade. Tennessee got safety Terrell Edmonds from Philly. He also got two draft picks. Uh, Tennessee got a 2024 fifth-round pick and a 2024 sixth-round pick. Uh, look, this is incredible, man. Um, Kevin Byard is so damn good. I love Kevin Byard. Um, I think I would imagine most normal people that don't watch I mean, I watch dang near every NFL game. I don't think the majority of people that are not maybe Tennessee Titans fans realize how good Kevin Byard is. But as a former quarterback, I would not want to play Kevin Byard like at all. He he reminds me of, he's got the instincts of, I don't, Ed Reed feels a bit outlandish to me. But like, he's the kind of player that you're like, when Kevin Byard's across from you as a quarterback, you're like, hey, I got to be on watch a little bit because... Kevin Byard is so dang good at reading quarterback's eyes and breaking on the ball. I mean, Kevin Byard has one of my favorite all-time interceptions where it was against the LA Rams and Matthew Stafford, I believe. So it was in within, might have been two years ago. It might have been when the Rams made that Super Bowl run. I will never forget. There was an outbreaking route. Kevin Byard broke on the ball, made this incredible play, went for a pick six. And it's been a play that's been stuck in my head for years. And so I don't think I'm living in the past when I say Kevin Byard is just really dang good. His ability to jump routes is crazy, incredible. And um, I think Kevin Byard going to Philly is kind of a low-key steal that, I mean, we just saw one of the best safeties in football go to a 6-1 and team that's already a Super Bowl favorite. Kevin Byard is incredible. And adding him for a low price of, what, a fifth-round pick, a sixth-round pick, and a safety that is now no longer going to be your starter anyway, that's craziness. That's so dang good for Philadelphia. And Philly is known historically for making really, really good, frankly, one-sided trades that always benefit them. Like, this is not the first time Philly made a trade with Tennessee. I want to remind you of the A.J. Brown trade. During the 2022 draft, Tennessee receiver A.J. Brown was traded to Philly because Tennessee did not want to give up a— sorry, Tennessee didn't want to give A.J. Brown a long-term contract. So they gave up A.J. Brown for a first-round pick and a third-round pick, 
And that trade was a one-sided total failure. Like, Tennessee lost that trade badly. They used that first-round pick to draft a new receiver, Traylon Burks, out of Arkansas. And I think Tennessee thought they could just replace A.J. Brown. Like, hey, we get rid of this guy. We'll bring in a new receiver. It's just rinse and repeat, super easy to replace A.J. Brown. It did not work that way at all. In last year, as a rookie, Traylon Burks played in only 11 games and caught one touchdown. This year, Traylon Burks is hurt again and has only played in three of Tennessee's six games so far this year. Currently, Traylon Burks is listed as out on the injury report and has not caught a touchdown pass all year long. But the story isn't just that Traylon Burks hasn't worked out. It's that A.J. Brown has also been an absolute star with Philly. Like, Tennessee was ridiculous to get rid of A.J. Brown. It's crazy to me. And it was a terrible, terrible, terrible move. So right now, A.J. Brown is 809 yards receiving as a, just him by himself. And that's more yards than all the receivers in Tennessee combined. All the receivers in Tennessee combined right now has seven, have 789 yards. So A.J. Brown has more yards by himself by 20 yards than every receiver right now in Tennessee, which is absolutely absurd. So it, it really, to me, that shows how one-sided the A.J. Brown trade was. A.J. Brown has gone to Philly and been an absolute star, and what Tennessee got for A.J. Brown has turned into basically nothing for them. Eagles general manager Howie Roseman really, really won that A.J. Brown trade, and it makes you look at that Kevin Byard trade and go, hmm, did Philly trade another really, really good player from Tennessee? Like, I saw a hilarious meme today that it, it made the insinuation that Tennessee was just the Eagles farm team, which is hilarious and funny and um, I, I just look at, if the A.J. Brown trade was so one-sided, what's the Kevin Byard trade going to look like in two years? Because I think Kevin Byard is really dang good, and I think Howie Rosen pulled off another really one-sided, really good trade for the Philadelphia Eagles, and uh, I'm excited to see what happens there. Guys, I love you. Um, I'm a bit, I feel like I've been a bit discombobulated today. I'm, I'm nervous. There's like nervous energy seeping out of me. Um, I'm, I'm tired. My, uh, my roommates here, her cat had surgery yesterday. So it's been, uh, it's been interesting here. I love you so much. I'll see you. Uh, well, I'll see you very soon. I'm doing a, I'm recording later today, an episode about fantasy football and what happened to me during week seven. But for now, I love you. I appreciate you. I'll talk to you very soon and have a great day. But um, bum, bam, we are done.